0: Tim Berg, host of the Above180.com podcast. have a special podcast lined up here. I'm combining shows. Myself and Steve Klemkin do a show called the Storm Collegiate Spotlight Podcast. Now, on this show, me and Steve team up, and we do a show with Mike Jazz. Now, and Mike was a longtime instructor at Lane 81, Silver Certified Coach. Mike is now doing some coaching at Coconut Bowl for the USBC Open Championships when, hopefully, things get back going with, uh, with that tournament. So, we thought we would tag team mike a little bit talk about some of the stuff regarding the latest news regarding the coronavirus and also hit on uh, the open championships and then also hit on college bowling so a little bit of everything on this show so again that's mike jazz now coming up on the above 180.com podcast
1: high five gear is a proud sponsor of above 180.com h5g has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees how awesome is that Show your individuality and have your jersey tell your story. Online, you can order at www.hi5gear.com today. Don't let fashion pass you by. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Thank you to all of our supporters and our fans. We appreciate it.
0: Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to bowling this month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining us now is Mike Jazz. Now, Mike is a USBC Silver Level coach. Mike is with the Storm instructional staff, and he's also a Bowling This Month contributor. Mike, it's Tim Berg and Steve Klemkin, my co host on the Storm Collegiate Spotlight podcast today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks,
1: Tim. Always good to talk to you and Steve. Happy to be here.
0: Well, Mike, we planned on bringing you on to talk a lot of college bowling and mix in some stuff regarding the USBC Open Championships, where you'll be up there coaching, but unfortunately, with the news last week coming out that the Open Championships have been postponed until May 1st, do want to get your perspective on that? It seems like it kind of was the right thing to do, in my opinion, but kind of does stink for everyone involved. Yeah,
1: this, uh, I was kind of worried, especially after the NBA canceled their their season. I was kind of had it back in my head. Well, there's a pretty good chance this might happen, which is different than it actually happening. <laughs> You know, uh, so the news, yeah, it was not surprising, but still kind of a shock and thinking like, holy crap. (laughs) You know, that's uh, I I was planning on leaving town in a couple days to head out there. So my plans have really been turned upside down. And, you know, obviously there are bigger things than bowling in this situation. Um, You know, but I hope things get back on track and we can actually – they postponed it, I believe, what till May first, and I hopefully we can hold on to that timeline.
2: And maybe all the bowlers, you know, that you had scheduled, um, you know, between the start of the tournament and May first for the lessons, maybe they'll be uh, hopefully able to reschedule their their squad times for sometime in, you know, July or yeah. August. I don't know how late they're going to be announcing that, but uh, it might be just kind of a a shuffling of schedules, and hopefully everybody, I I guarantee, if people have. I mean, how what, what percentage of the people who get lessons from you are repeat customers?
1: Uh, probably about I would guess at least sixty,
2: seventy percent. Yeah. I have lots
1: of repeats. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And they're they are probably some pretty diehard tournament uh bowlers who are gonna do everything they can to uh to reschedule their squad times and right. hopefully we'll still be bowling the tournament, but just be just be bowling later in the year. And you're, you're set up out at uh, coconut bowl. Is that right? Is that where you're doing lessons this year?
1: I'll be up at coconut bowl, which is a great facility. You know, it's funny. I've been working in Reno, you know, forever, basically. And coconut bowl has been there 15 years. I'd never been in there. And Mm -hmm. I went in there in July to check the place out and could not believe how nice it was and how big it was and how much they have to offer. So I'm kind of excited to be there, actually, and hopefully I'll get to be there.
0: Well, yeah, and, and we were we were kind of talking, too, with all the still unknowns regarding this coronavirus. We're, like, when you do your lessons, you're working in close proximity to people. There's a lot of just, Absolutely. just things going on. So even, you know, we, we think about it, and we're, we're initially, like you were, I was thinking the same, we're, you know, really disappointed about things and, and just how things are having to get shuffled around, but then – Safety is always is better, you know, better to err on the side of safety when it comes to thing and, and in, in your situation, especially when you're working so up close and personal with people when, you know, you do your lesson and then you sit down, you know, right. when you go over things with them, so it's you know, it's, it's one yeah. of those things I think, you know, for, for safety reasons it's probably in everyone's best interest.
1: Yes. And even if they hadn't cancelled it, I was thinking last night, even if they don't cancel the actual tournament, I wouldn't be surprised half the people don't go. So I kind of figured they would cancel it. Now, hopefully when it starts in May, another thing I, I'm excited about is I'm going to have a Specto system to use during the lessons, the, the tracking. So hopefully we'll get back on track with all that. But, um,
0: yeah. Yeah, can you explain, Mike, <laughs> well, what that does? Me I mean, for some for people who are still unfamiliar with the spectro, um sure. how that works for people and how you're able to use that in your lessons?
1: Yeah, now on lane 81 in the stadium where I've been for Twenty years, I uh, always had a tracking system to see what the ball was doing on the lane. It was the Cat's system. Specto is basically an updated, way cooler Cat system. <laughs> you can do more with it. Uh, the main things I look at: ball speed, speed control. It shows you accuracy of the arrows at your break point. Uh, one of the more important stats is the launch angle, and that's the angle of the ball off your hand. Because uh, if that angle is often really at your break point. Well, we check entry angles. That there's, you know, that affects pin carry. We rev rate. So just lots of good statistical data. And what's good in a lesson is we get the, the initial stats, and then we work on a couple of things in the physical game, and people can literally see the stats get better immediately, which tells us we're working on the right things.
2: And what do you when you look at? Uh, I'm trying to think back of some of the data you'd mentioned there. The launch angle in the entry angle and such is, is there uh, a distinct difference between when, you know, when you see the consistency of some of these tour players, like you you've been a long time coach for uh, say Marshall Kent, for example, or, right. you know, some of these other, I mean, high end, highly, you know, it, it, how different are they from uh, the average bowler who maybe averages, uh, you know, comes to the open championships and maybe they average around 200 or 210.
1: It's really quite different. In fact, a couple of years ago, one of the times I worked with Marshall in
2: 1981,
1: we kind of played a game where he had to throw 10 shots, but he had to play a different line every shot. And literally, he played from about the three-board at the Arrows into the 28th board at the Arrows. And, you know, great point kind of varied a a bit, too, obviously. But at the pocket, there was only a a two-and-a-half-board difference with all those shots a couple weeks before that I had a two ten house bowler in for a lesson and they're instructed on, on for their 10 shots to not move anything, same target, same stance, same ball. He had, now he was trying to hit the same target. So he had about a two to three board difference at the arrows, but a 10 board difference down the lane because he wasn't consistent with what he was doing. It was quite dramatic, actually.
2: <laughs> I, w- I was thinking, I bet you there are a lot of people who do hit between 3 and 28 for 10 shots in a row, but it's not, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't get I'm to the same breakpoint, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: The pros, you know, that's why if you ever, if anybody listening, if you ever get a chance to see a professional tournament in person, please go. You cannot appreciate and see how good they are watching on television. And during the week when they're bowling, either match play or qualifying, you get to see them move pair to pair. And they make something incredibly complicated and hard look extremely easy.
0: Well, and, and one of the other things, you know, that you get to see then is just we talk about their changing their angles, but also their speed and how that plays Absolutely. such a role. In, in their game and when they move left, it's it's not just a huge move left. It might be softening up or it might be lofting the ball. It might be a, a multitude of things. Correct. You're right. Yep. Not
1: everybody uh, is versatile as you, Tim.
0: <laughs> well, so here's one thing I want, you know, because me and Steve do the college <laughs> show together and we're kind of combining things here yeah. for the, the Above180.com podcast podcast. I don't think I've ever asked you, Mike, though, when, when we have those high school kids that are, are growing, we're, we're continuing to grow, how do you handle yeah. a lesson with a, a younger, you know, even say a 15-, 16-year-old, and he, sh- he shoots up a couple inches, you know, he just all of a sudden he, he grows, he gets taller, yeah. his, his you know, his body changes. Or even someone, if you're not a high school or college bowler, you're someone who's, who's maybe you've lost a bunch of weight and how that might change things in your game.
1: Well, I think the biggest thing to look at there is the fit of the ball. You've got to make sure your equipment fits correctly if you're a different size. You know, so that's the number one thing. Um, it's, it's quite funny because I work with a lot of kids who, and obviously they, they get older. <laughs> so I have video of kids, especially like when I go to places like Alaska where I only go once a year, I'll have video of somebody from the, the age nine until the age 18, and I can put side by side. So literally you see a difference of two or three feet in height and it's it's kinda crazy to see. But what happens, it happens as you're the one growing, it happens to gradually it's not like you wake up the next day and all of a sudden you're three inches taller. You know, so for the bowler, I don't think it's as noticeable because it happens gradually. I do know like especially with kids from age I don't know, t- ten or eleven until eighteen, they it's hard to get anything to fit correctly. For more than about six months you know you think even if you have kids you have to buy them clothes all the time because they grow out of them. The bowling ball is the same the span changes mm-hmm. you know shoes change and, you know so that that's the big thing but physically wise the body just kind of adapts from what i've seen now i have worked with several people that have lost 100 or 150 pounds and i've mm-hmm. seen in a few cases where they had the habit of kind of wrapping around their body because their body was in the way and it takes, usually the body starts to figure out, oh, that's not there anymore, we can keep the swinging tighter. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. So then we also have to work on a swing plane thing to get it in closer again.
2: Yeah, that's definitely a good point. And really, you can never, you know, as far as visiting, like, a, you know, a Storm VIP Pro Shop or a qualified professional, you know, you do have people that change uh, over time your fit and even your flexibility, you know, in your hand over Absolutely. years. It gets yep. a little bit stiffer. And you've got to reassess, you know, exactly where your grip's at. And, you know, the other thing, too, you know, we, yep. we have a lot of tech support here in, in-house at Storm. Uh, we get lots of calls and emails and stuff. And the other thing that does change over time is your positive access point. So, right. you know, yep. re- reassessing that, the layout, I'm, I'm imagining you looking at somebody right. and you're like, hey, you need to have a, a certain type of a layout. Well, it, maybe it was that layout one time, but their game's changed, and now they're not and getting the what maybe they thought they were getting. Yep. Yeah.
1: I think one other tip, and I got this tip as a junior bowler, and I still remember this, and I tell other people, because there's this one tournament I went to as a junior bowler, and 10 minutes of practice, I go to put my thumb on the ball, I can't get it in. So I have to go to the pro shop, get it buzzed out, still wasn't good, and get it buzzed out again, come back to the pair, I got no practice. So, of course, I'm like 12, so I'm in tears, crying, crying. I get back home, and I tell my pro shop guy, he goes, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make your thumb hole bigger so you can have at least four or five pieces of tape. If you swell up, take some tape out. You can use your ball right away. You know, so I think that's especially with kids that are growing. Tape is a good thing. Have the thumb hole a little bit bigger. Add some tape as they grow or swell up after a lot of games. They can take the tape out. It's a terrible feeling. I think we've all been there where your thumb hole is too tight and there's no tape in it. And what do you do?
2: You know, so if you think, try to keep using it, and you, you create a blister, or uh,
1: absolutely, you know. yep. So that's easily avoidable
0: by a little pre planning there. And conversely, if you have it too loose, then you're grabbing it all the time, and that's no good as well. Correct. So another tip
1: is, if you look at your thumb, kind of facing yourself, not many of us have round thumbs. Most of us have an oval thumb. Therefore, both of us have oval holes in the ball. Now if you have a round hole, you can add some tape and make the hole oval. You should if you have an oval hole and an oval thumb, you should not be able to get the wide part and the skinny part. hmm And if you can, you're gonna be squeezing to hold on to it.
2: Very true. And so much and really that's that's one of the reasons too why we have those booths, you know, that are there that are set up at the Absolutely. open championships. I know we have a we have a good pro shop there as well at Coconut Bowl, um as yep. well. But it it is it's very important as far as the execution. Uh, of, a, of a good shot to make sure that you have the proper tip.
1: Getting you know, it's good, funny, good, you good had good, my, good Marshall, Marshall Kent was recently on, thanks for your last podcast, I believe. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky enough to work with Marshall. The first time I worked with him, he was 15. <laughs> so we've been working together for a lot of years. But just this week's tournament, World Series of Bowling, I see one round, he started off 160-160, and he texted me and said, "I, you know, my ring fingers fall up so much I could hardly get my finger in the ball. You know, so even the professionals go through some of this stuff. The next day he had to change that one grip on all his balls so that it wouldn't mm-hmm. happen again.
2: Mm. Big advancements with interchangeable yep. thumbs and, and fingers and over time. And, you know, when Wichita State, I mean, I'm, uh, you and I are both yeah. Wichita State Shocker alums, right? Go Shockers. You've got to kind of sneak that one in there. And uh, but you had uh, you know one of the unique things I think uh, and one of the great things we had in college bowling. I know it's not a one of the benefits today, but you were a intercollegiate singles champion. Why don't you talk a little bit about that and then talk a little bit about kind of sort of where that got you?
1: Yeah, it used to be if you uh, let's see how that worked. If you in the regionals, I believe if you were first or second in all events for the regional, you got to go to the national singles final and it was always in association with the USBC national tournament so I got to bowl I got to bowl that twice actually the first year I finished fifth or sixth and then the second year I was lucky enough to win it and the winner of that tournament qualified to go to the World Cup so back then that's how the US got the representative for the World Cup it was a collegiate champion so I got to go to Mexico City And had a good tournament uh, and ended up finishing third of the World Cup there in Mexico City. Now, I really wanted to go the following year also because the following year is in Australia. And unfortunately, I did not qualify for that. My buddy Jack Jurek did, and I still give him crap about it. (laughs) (laughs) Although Mexico City was great and
0: said third of the World Cup, pretty exciting experience. Quickly, have to remind folks, please check out BowlingThisMonth.com, a fine sponsor here of the podcast. Bowling's best and most comprehensive technical resource all at your fingertips. Have your ball reviews down your left-hand side. Have a great piece I'm seeing right now titled Overthinking. Part 2, Common Errors and the Solutions. Check that one out as well. Lots of great articles. Also, that's where you're going to want to go for more coaching help and advice, and and even Mike Jazz now writes a piece on there from time to time. So again, check out everything at BowlingThisMonth.com. Also, H5G Brands is where you want to go if you want to look sharp when you're out there on the lanes. Not exactly sure when we're going to be heading back on the lanes, but make sure you get your shirts and your dye supplemented jerseys from high 5 Brands.com. H5G Brands, using code Above 180, tell them that when you check out. Promo code ABOVE180, that will get you $20 off your order. So check everything out there. No hidden artwork fees and all sorts of great deals on team jerseys if you're looking to get your team ready and set for state, city, or even the Open Championships. Again, once we get back going, you'll want to check out H5GBrands.com. Again, use that promo code ABOVE180. That will get you $20 off your order. Again, H5GBrands.com. And so, Mike, as, um, as we talk a lot about college bowling on a weekly basis, would love to get your perspective on just the growth of college bowling and then how you how you see that and then how you're now having more college players and high school players coming to you for lessons, whether that's you going to them and doing, like you said, you go to Alaska once, once a year, I believe, and, and, and going up there or going to other parts of the country and doing your lessons or whether it's folks seeing you in Reno over the years.
1: You know, and I tell the kids and the kids' parents this. I've done a lot of things in bowling. I bowled on tour. I've been coaching at a high level for a lot of years, bowling college. And I tell them, all, college bowling is one of the best things I've ever done in bowling, by far. It opened up the doors to what I'm doing now, actually. And so I promote college bowling to absolutely everybody. (laughs) It's competitive, it's great, great competition. Now it's all on, on tougher shots too. So it gets you way more prepared if you want to go on after collegiate to the pro ranks. Uh, just, and for me, I went from New York to Wichita, Kansas, which is a culture shock. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. didn't know anybody there, obviously, but I was going to be on the team, So automatically the first day I was there, I had people I could hang out with and had friends. And that's another big factor for a lot of people that are going away for school you have a instant group of people, which is extremely helpful. And you know just like the scholarship programs uh, in junior bowling, you know I know dozens of people, they had thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars to use to go to college. Mm. you know, and then they can get college scholarships. So you know that is one of my passions really college bowling, uh, because it's done so much for me. And I see what it does for other people. Even like Marshall Kent had the conversation on his podcast about where he went and how he decided. You know, I, you know, I looked at a couple of different schools, but at that time, Wichita State was by far the top choice for me. For you too, Steve, how did you decide to go to Wichita? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, had a, I, got, I got real fortunate there because I'd actually qualified for uh, Team USA and uh, Gordon Vatican wow. was one of the assistant coaches on Team USA. And he went with us to uh, Singapore in the World Championships in uh, um, 1991. And then he actually oh, wow. we had, began talking on that trip. And, hey, don't act like it was that long ago now, Mike. Come on. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> no, he
2: had, he had said, you know, hey, you know what? You're going part-time to school at UNLV and trying to bowl and stuff. He's like, you really should consider maybe next year, maybe next fall, you should consider coming to Wichita Get all your schooling done at once. You, then you'll have your degree, and then you can go on and do whatever you want. You know, you can go back to go back to Bowling or go back to Vegas or go on to something yeah. else. You know, you never know. So I got right. real fortunate that way, and uh, and awesome. uh, well, plus working at the uh, working at the Showboat and at Samstown, we saw the two big collegiate tournaments there every winter. Wow. So I used to go yeah. and watch. I mean, there were some uh, some of the fantastic. You might have people. We me. actually, we I might no, I <laughs> no, you know what we actually <laughs> did do. We actually did have we had pot games once, and we got our butts handed to us. We actually bowled doubles against uh, Chris Barnes and uh, Lonnie Wallacek when they were there wow. for a collegiate tournament, and we had a couple of us from the pro shop. We thought we were we were the you know the best bowlers around, and said, "Yeah, we'll bowl anybody." And uh, yeah, they kind of showed us who the boss was uh, back then. So
0: nice,
1: that's cool. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, Mike, when we talk about the Open Championships, we, I always get these questions. Steve, I'm sure you hear them as well when it comes to building an arsenal – and so I feel like we should at least go over that a little bit again because we're always adding new listeners. And um, and let's just you know let's just keep it simple and say the person's traveling yep. with a, a six ball arsenal and let's even throw one as a spare. So technically probably a five ball arsenal. Although the one thing I am right. seeing now more and more people and I'd love to get your your guys both opinion on this is they're deciding to take that urethane ball as a spare ball for for tournaments for sports shot tournaments yep. especially. And, and then it can technically still be a strike ball if the situation arises.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great strategy as long as you're used to shooting your spares with it. If, you, if you're used to shooting your spares with, with plastic for years and years, you think, oh, for this tournament, that's where you're thinking. You know, practice at first. I wouldn't suggest it because it will be a little bit different. But it's not hard to get practice with that. And that gives you another option for another ball. So I, I really like that strategy to be honest. What do you think Steve on that?
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the pitch black, for example, is one that, you know, a lot of the guys on tour use it for strike balls and uh, especially at the open championships in the uh, game one situations where the back ends are clean yep. uh, and there's uh, a lot of oil in the front. So a, a urethane, uh high performance urethane option is, is uh, uh, definitely a good strategy that's utilized by a lot of the better bowlers. So, um, if you were to go to a a, a tournament nowadays and not have a high-performance urethane ball in your bag, I think you're at a disadvantage. Correct, yes,
1: especially on sports shots. For house shots, I really don't think most people would need a urethane ball for a house shot. And it might be actually a detriment because of pin carry. You know, sometimes on those sports shots, especially in game one, the, the key is, like, get around the pocket, stay out of trouble, and urethane is awesome for that
2: but then you have to know when to put it down. I mean, when you're giving lessons to people, okay. how often do you do you see people, you know, at the open championships trying to hang on to the maybe they bowled a pretty good game their first game and they're trying to hang on and and keep their feet in the same place and throw the same ball, you know, games 2 and 3 and they're 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 struggling.
1: Yeah, you even see it on tour, to be honest. Where they that's stay true. with it a little bit too long and you know, that's where it, it starts to become pretty obvious. Now, the tricky part is let's say you have just a great lucky shot two sixty, and you have some room and it's worked great. It's kind of hard to put it away. <laughs> you know, mm. it if it doesn't strike one or two shots, you know? So I think at first, yeah, you can kind of finagle and see if you can move around a little bit to, to try to get carried. But there's a point where it's pretty obvious. Like, okay, I'm hitting the pocket every shot. No ball has a chance of this ball. No longer has a chance of striking. That's when you got to put it away. You know, mm. if you're making great shots and, you 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 know your, your good game is going to be 190 because you can't double. That's not going to be good enough to compete. You know, so that's where you have to know your own game and and kind of be a little bit aware of the scoring pace also. But when you see other guys that were throwing your thing game one and then all of a sudden they're jumping in and they start to to string them, that's probably a good indicator also.
2: And that's when having a good arsenal does come into play, you know. And there's uh, absolutely, you know, there's a lot of discussion, you know, as far as trying to figure out, you know, well, what, how many, you know, how many asymmetricals versus symmetricals, or how many shiny versus dull versus kind of a medium, kind of a matte finish, you know. And uh, most yeah. of the recommendations we have when you're looking at arsenals, because you're going to have to, you know, make sure that you have some balls that hook more or less earlier or later, and have some balls yep. to switch to, because so much of, you know, modern day Bowling in, in order to succeed like that is uh, making sure that you do adjust uh, your feet and your strategy and your speed and release and your bowling ball as well, and making sure that you have a blend of you know high performance asymmetricals. You know, say for example, I mean the Omega Crux that was one for example. Chris Prather won the uh, TSC right, and he had a symmetrical ball in the left lane throwing. Uh, one of the idols and then had a uh, sim on the right lane you know so he had an arsenal right. of balls just for one pair <laughs> and not exactly. regardless not even just the whole you know the whole tournament or squad or qualifying just for that you know one particular pair of lanes he needed two distinctly different balls
1: yep and that's where you have to really know your own game do so you like A-Sims better than uh symmetricals for you everybody's a little bit different and yes there are rule technically this should work, that doesn't mean it always does for you. So you have to know your own game. One thing I do suggest to people coming to the Open Championships or even a collegiate tournament for that matter, you know it's they're they're not going to be a house shot. So most of us have a favorite ball or two that you just like throwing, that you've been throwing for a while, it feels great in your hand, you know exactly what it does. By all means, bring your favorite balls. <laughs> Because you use them because they work good and they fit right. And they, it just feels good. We've all had that ball, like, oh, this is great. And then when it wears out, you're, you, know, you try to replace and it's not quite the same. So if you have one or two favorite balls, you have to bring that. No matter what the condition is going to be, almost. You know, and it's going to give you a good read for better. the
2: oil pattern. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Give you a good read for the oil
1: pattern. It. Yeah. Correct. Now, it's almost like a benchmark ball for, you, for yourself, you know, and because you know what it does, and then you know, okay, well, this does this. I'm used to that, and but it's not quite doing this. Hey, let me try this one in comparison, and that's where also, before you head out to these tournaments, know the difference between from ball to ball for you. So, you know, I've seen people in the seventh frame, like, oh, this ball's not working, and try another ball in the cell frame. It's like, why, why are you going to wait? I'm not sure what to do with it. I don't know where to stand. Well, maybe if you knew ahead of time, when I switched from ball A to ball B, I got to move five and three, would be a guess, you know. It, at least it gives you an idea so you don't use a ball that's not working for a few frames to try to get a fill ball to use something.
0: And then I would guess, too, that when you make that move, it, assuming you, you hit your target, you, everything is the way you want it to be, your miss should be, a, at worst, a two-pin, right? You should be no worse than a two-pin or a flat ten. In theory, <laughs>
1: in the perfect world, that would be awesome. If you switch balls and your workshop is a cheap end, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs>
0: but that's, what, you know, knowing but your, yes. that's where like, knowing your heart, though, is key. And for, for the guys Correct. on tour, and they're bowling on stuff that's way more complicated and switching pairs and crosses, and they got all sorts of other things, too. But that's where the best ones in the world, the Jason Belmontes, the Marshall Kents, the Chris Prathers, that is probably their 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 miss is a two pin or a, a you know, a flat seven or flat ten or something.
1: Yeah, yeah and especially when you if you do switch balls, like make it a priority. Let's make a really good shot so you get a good read. You don't want to waste a shot by throwing it badly. You know. Uh-huh. So you know, so that's pretty important too. And so to pick a six ball arsenal, there's I don't think there's like a a six ball arsenal that works for everybody you know, you could probably pick two or three, you know, obviously you need a spare ball or urethane, uh, high rev guys, first quarter, you should definitely have urethane as an option for a first ball. If you're a low rev player, maybe you don't need that for a first ball, you know, but something nice and smooth and archy, something that will a little bit more skid flippy for when you go in your favorite stuff. And then you kind of fill in the gaps.
2: Yeah, that is. A, you, the, there is no one six ball arsenal that works for everybody, but it nope. is, You know, the, you really do have to know your own your own technique, your own style. You know, are you speed dominant are you rev dominant? That's where a great pro shop operator and a great coach like yourself comes into play, is to help the average person figure that out.
1: Correct, and that's what the booths are there for. The storm booth. those guys. I've worked for those guys for twenty years. They are awesome, and they know. I mean, they're there on site, looking at ball motion every day. They know what's going on in the lanes. They know what to mm-hmm. what to drill for you. What, what people are using, what's what's working. So, if you're not sure, by all means, stop by that storm booth.
2: Yeah, Mark Mark Anderson and his staff. He always has a a a great great highly knowledgeable team there of people yeah. who can can definitely do you do, you know get you get you lined up and get you some good strategies for what to do when you when you are out there. Hey, final, final question I have for you, Mike, yeah. what do you, and we're looking at, you know, we're talking, this is totally applicable for the open championships, high, comp, high level competition on the collegiate level, or even junior gold, these kinds of events. Uh, what kind of importance or balance do you put uh, between uh, the mental game and then the physical game? Well, uh, at the,
1: the higher the level, I mean, as an example, for the, on tour, the guys that are full-time touring pros, they're all freaking good. Everybody's good. But not everybody wins and is, is su- successful. So that's where the mental part really, really comes in. And to be honest, with a lot of the pros I work with, I bet you with most of them, we talk 70% about mental stuff, 30% about physical game stuff at this point. Um, Marshall's a good example. You know, they just had the double show. And he had a chance to step up in the 10th, double and get nine or eight, and win the title. Mm -hmm. And he kind of yipped it at the bottom, hit up on it, left the 310th. And what's interesting, on that same lane in the ninth frame, Jesper gets up and he had a chance to kind of lock it out with a strike. And for both of them, and sometimes doubles or teams is harder because you have, you put pressure on yourself to not let your teammates down. Both of them make that shot more important. And it, what their, their mind didn't quite allow them to make the shot they wanted because their mind was too active. Um, so that's where you have to get to the point where, yes, it's a huge shot and it's really important, but you've got to stay within yourself and, only concern yourself with what you have control of, which is your physical game and your, the shot you're going to make. And your best and chance sounds, of, of doing what you want is making your best shot.
2: And it sounds you like know? I've heard it. I don't want not to be too cliche, but they always, I hear a lot of the top athletes talk about, you know, the process, like going <laughs> through the, the routine, right? And the kind of the steps yeah. that it takes. You know, that's
1: yeah. funny because I bring this up in a lot of my lessons. And I say, you know, they have that little interview right before their game, hey Marshall, you have a big match today. What's your mindset? They all say this, Well, I'm gonna stay my process, try to make my best shots, and we'll see what happens. They all say that, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's true. It's hard to do, but that's true. Have you ever heard a response, Hey, you have a big match today, Marshall, what are you gonna think about? Well, I'm gonna concentrate harder than ever on my target.
2: Right. <laughs> I mean that just <laughs> sounds silly. Yeah. You don't hear that. <laughs> that's true.
1: The average ball, I think, oh, my God, i concentrate really hard to hit my target on this shot. That's what they think about yeah. instead of making a good shot to be able to hit the target. I'm going to have Marshall answer that question. I'm going to concentrate super hard on my target today.
2: Just to see I'm what going to, to think point. harder and harder and work harder than I ever have.
0: On my target.
2: On my target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I'm and really along really those funny. same lines regarding mental game, it was also funny because after, the, after they had won, they asked yes for about that shot in the ninth frame. And he couldn't even remember it. So he had put that shot so far out of his mind already after he had made it that he couldn't even, when asked about it, what, maybe five, seven minutes after, he couldn't even remember, you know, what had happened there. Like you said, you can go back and see what he did, but he couldn't remember it. Correct.
1: And if you remember that shot, I remember that because he had the mic on He goes, okay, this means so much more to other people than myself. And just saying how much it meant. I bet you in the third frame of game two of qualifying, he wasn't saying that. You know, and obviously it's a different situation, but it's so easy to have the mind take over and then your body doesn't react the same. You get a little bit tighter. It's not off. Your hand is clean. It doesn't react the same. And it doesn't have to be a big miss to be a big miss down the lane if it's not off your hand. Is. And, you know, we've all been there where we've needed a shot and things got in the way. We didn't make it. The first time I had a chance to win a title, I had to step up in the 10th frame and get three strikes to tie to go to a roll-up to, to be able to win a title. And what I'm thinking is, I'm not going to pull this shot. I'm not going to go high. So I left the one through 4 <laughs> You know, I just just overthrew it and made a bad shot. But again, I was thinking other things. You know, and that's a learned process. Uh, someone else I've worked with a lot in the last year is Brad Miller, and he, he, his mind gets very active. So we're always working on a process of, trying to quiet the mind and focus on what you have control over, which is way, way easier said than done. You know, Steve, you, was it two years ago you made the show in the masters? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is one of the best performances I've seen of someone, especially who's not a full-time pro, even though you could be, <laughs> I don't suggest <laughs> it though. Cause I like, like having you home and you <laughs> but, uh-huh. um, you threw so many good shots, and I'm good at looking at ball motion from looking at the data all the time. I mean, you weren't missing by more than half an inch, and it was freaking awesome. And it was so impressive for you to just be able to get up there and make those shots. Now, I guess you have international experience and all that, you're, and you're very experienced, and you're really freaking good, <laughs> which helps with the confidence and stuff. But how did you do that? It was Boy, such a that good was,
2: performance, yeah, no, I appreciate that, and thanks it was uh it was it was hard to it was hard to do, but it was really you know it was really a matter of uh for me making sure that I just had one or two things in my mind that I was uh focusing on, and it could yeah. be it could be different from game to game and stuff, but it really was just a matter of trying to uh, help control my breathing and have a mindset where you know I'm really just. Uh, literally trying to say, okay, just remember this is what you're trying to do. Whether it was something with a push right. away or something with uh, my legs or something with a balance, just something to key on, and then just try and focus on those two, you know, one to two things maybe to try to execute on each shot, and then uh, and then and then make it. But it was, uh, yeah, with the uh, you know with the, the lights and pressure, and you, and you feel I feel yeah. it. I'm, I'm a lot of people feel it when you go to the Open Championships and step up and you're bowling in a in a environment oh, with yeah. your team. You're, you know, your first three, four frames of uh, game one of team event, or there's a lot of pressure because everybody wants to win, and and we all feel it, you know, and it's kind of how you handle or deal with that is is what sort of separates you know, when you do have a great performance or don't.
1: That is absolutely – even Norm Duke, when he bowled nationals, and I think that was the first time he bowled a few years ago, he late team event, and he was nervous. And he's freaking Norm Duke. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But again, he's thinking, like, oh my God, I'm no Duke. I don't want to look like an idiot. Uh, I don't, this team has me on their team. I can't let my team down. He's thinking all this other stuff and said, like, i don't to get up there and make the a good shot. You know, so it is a learned process and it's something that's super important to work on. You know, especially if you want to keep advancing in bowling, whether it be junior bowler and wants to do well in junior goals, um, even something like that. Marshall Kent. The first time he bowled junior gold, he finished like in the 500s or 400s. And that's before they had all those entries, <laughs> you know? And I asked him, what did you do? And he said, well, I went there, mine's not going strike every ball. And then when I didn't, I missed all my spares, <laughs> you know? So, but what he and his dad did afterward, they stayed and watched the people that made the cuts. What are they doing that we aren't? Mm-hmm. And they learned. And then he was better the next year. Still didn't quite oh, make Lord. the cut, but was better. And they did the same thing. They stayed and watched. And then he made three cuts in one row. And I think he has three top fives in junior gold, which is crazy good.
0: Well, that certainly is. Well, Mike Jazz, now speaking of crazy good coaches out in Reno, we're going to want to check you out and remind everyone again, where can they go to find you and how can they get in touch with you once the Open Championships uh, get cranking here?
1: You can always email me. My email address is bowlbetter at hotmail.com. I do have a Facebook page, and that's on the Facebook page there is a link that you can click on to see the schedule in Reno, which may now be altered a bit, Uh, but the availability, you can also book your lessons online through that link. And my Facebook page is Coach Mike Jasnar.
0: Well, great stuff. We'll make sure we link that here in the podcast and in the description on the on the website as well. So, so Mike, I want to sure. thank you for being here, sharing your perspective on things regarding Reno and bowling and college bowling and kind of just a, a little bit of everything, but I always appreciate our, our time with you. And all the best of luck in Reno, and I will certainly be uh, be stopping by and saying hi And uh, when we get up there and bowl, okay?
1: That would be great. I look forward to seeing you,
0: both of you out there. Thanks, guys.